Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. Uh, my guest is Dr. Ben Picciccio. My guest is Dr. Ben Bacchicchio. Uh, he's the author of a book called 15 Minutes to Fitness, uh, and he has a smart plan for diet and total health. So, uh, Dr. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Can't complain. How about you? Good. You sound like you're from uh, East Coast. I'm from New York. Are you? Is that where you're from? Born in Brooklyn, raised in Staten Island, and that's, that's where I learned to talk, so I keep <laughs> uh, Well, I'm from Queens, so people... People call it the city, even though it sits on Long Island, but I guess close enough, right? That's why Same thing with Staten Island. They still have deer crossing signs all over Staten Island. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, very cool. Well, tell me a little bit about uh, yourself and how you got into uh, health and fitness. What's your background? Okay. Um, I was always an athlete, a pretty high-level competitive athlete, and in my family history, goes back a long time in training athletes and being involved in wellness uh my uncle Felix was the manager of a heavyweight champion called Jersey Joe Walcott in the 1950s and 60s. So he was a trainer and a manager, and I was introduced to boxing and all the stuff that they went through as a kid. I had another uncle, Tony, who worked with, I actually had a training partner called Angelo Siciliano, who was known to the hmm. country as Charles Atlas. And that was my uncle, uh, Tony, actually worked out with him. And I still have the set of weights that Charles Atlas had made uh, back in the, I guess, the 30s or whatever. So, really? well, I, I, what was, uh, so what was Charles Atlas's real name? Angelo Siciliano. I also heard, this is cool, that's fascinating. I, I also heard that back in the uh, 30s and 40s, it was like uh, looked down upon the workouts and, you know, they had to do it in secret. Do you have any, any anecdotes from that time well, talking to them? I, I do have some anecdotes about that. Um, everybody, I think, still knows Jack LaLanne. Well, I met her widow and her son, uh, his son, um, about a year ago, at a, uh, I'm in an organization called um, National Fitness Hall of Fame. Okay, uh, and I met her, his widow was 91 years old, and his son really nice people. And we're talking. I said, you know, Jack seemed to me to have a pretty good understanding of physiology and anatomy. I said, how did he get this stuff? Did he? And she told me that he was actually a certified, uh, licensed chiropractor back in the 40s in california but that was looked upon as voodoo so he never let it out because i said this guy he studied this thing he knows what's going on so it was curious and then back in the when my when i was growing up my father would call anybody who did you know took vitamins did this stuff they would call them health nuts you know because they were yep, i guess yep yep so into this stuff that was out of the ordinary uh and now it's just kind of common and then there's other kind of health nuts you know they take it to another extreme but uh yeah that's where it started right. from but I always wanted to, I was always fascinated in the training part of this, you know, being a competitive athlete, you know, how do you get stronger? How do you get faster? So I took my undergrad degree in exercise. Uh, actually, at that time, it was phys ed, health and science at Ithaca College. And then I went on to get a master's and then two PhDs, one in health and one in exercise physiology. And I've always been into the exercise wellness uh, deal. You know, now I don't know if anybody realizes in your audience, but Intermittent fasting and keto diets are a big thing. Uh, right. Yeah, they are. I wrote my first article on fasting in 1978, you know, and I've been using this stuff for <laughs> forever. But 
most recently I've been getting real popular and I did my own thing for a long time, had my own facilities, did my own consulting work. And they were after me to write a book for about 25 or 30 years. So I finally wrote that 15 okay. minutes to fitness. Back in 1974, I created a system of slow resistance training, uh, which we call smart training. Just gave it a little acronym, uh, which literally uh, requires 15 minutes twice a week. It's high intensity and it's relative high intensity for everybody. So I do everything from training elite athletes to rehab patients to uh, elderly people to kids. And I've done studies, you know, uh, measuring the benefits of those things with regard to health and function. And, uh, you know, weight loss is always, of course, a big driver of any of these kind of programs. So is it literally just 15 minutes a week or is it yeah, I 15 minute sessions per week? 15 minutes per session. I, I, I didn't say per week, two 15 minute sessions okay. a week, uh, which I've been doing myself for 50 years. I have plenty of patients and clients that have been doing it for 30, 40 years. Um, so it's something you can do universally and at any level, uh, totally benign, except it's, it's as high intensity as the person doing it can, you know, subjectively withstand. I mean, it's not right. torture, but, but it's, it's concentrated and there's some <laughs> effort as well. But, uh, you know, and that's really what the body requires as a, as a matter of, you know, our evolution as a species. You know, we have these certain organ systems. You know, people say, well, you know, we really didn't need to be that active. Well, that's just ridiculous. If you consider how the cardiovascular system can pump, you know, 20 times the volume of blood it can at rest, you know, how the nervous system can elicit responses that are 15, 20 times more powerful than at rest, and the muscle system can produce all this force. Obviously, as a species, the successful people had these capacities and obviously had to use them at some point in their lifestyles. So all right. of these things that we do, even, you know, eating, uh, with regard to eating, you know, we, we didn't have carbohydrate in any form, you know, fruit or anything else in many places for months at a time. We certainly uh, had to live on fish and fowl and game that we hunted down. So every few days we had to go out and hunt, which was a vigorous, high-intensity exercise protocol, if you think about it. So this whole development of a, of a behavioral system in modern-day times, we wanted to kind of replicate what made our DNA a strong, surviving species. And this is how I've come up with the plan that I think gives the biggest bang for a buck as far as eating and as far as exercise and you know, some health behaviors. Well, I like the fact that you've been around for a long time and seen a lot of uh, things come and go. So what does that perspective tell you? What does it tell you having seen all these diet fads and, you know, like, what, what do you think now versus what you thought 30, 40 years ago? Well, I mean, I even thought this 30 or 40 years ago, but my, my question is, if these plans were so good, why is it that we have that new and, and more improved plan every six months? I mean, my, my system stayed the same for the last 50 years. And we seem to have more and more people doing it and it makes more and more sense. And the research and the studies, not done by me necessarily, even though I have done studies, uh, indicates that we're on the right track. I mean, the human body requires a couple things. One, one of the things that's kind of the epidemic of our health uh, systems all around the world, now even in developing countries, is the carbohydrate load, okay? And, and people maybe not don't understand that, you know, a piece of whole wheat toast and a piece of birthday cake at some point break down into glucose. So one may break down a little slower, which may be slightly more beneficial. But it, to me, it's like saying, you know, three cigarettes is better than 10 cigarettes a day. It's still not something I would suggest. So what's happening is now we have an epidemic of what we call uh, insulin resistance. Diabetes, for example, has always been measured by blood sugar. But the real disease in diabetes is that we become resistant to insulin because we ask it to be secreted from birth because we're eating so much sugar 
And at some point, you become resistant to that. It's almost like a, you know, a crack addict or a heroin addict. They need more and more. But at some point, your body says, I'm shutting down. I'm not producing more insulin. So now this sugar has to find a place to go. We don't want it in the bloodstream. It goes back to the liver, gets converted to fat. And then we get this fatty liver, which now is an epidemic, fatty liver disease, which uh, used to be al- alcohol-related. Now it's not. Um, and diabetes, which they measure, measure by sugar in your blood. But really, the culprit is insulin. And guess how they treat it? They give you insulin to treat With it. With insulin, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, so, and it was, which is the cause of the disease. And, you know, the, di- the diagnosis of diabetes from the doctor is a progressive, irreversible process. And yet I'm working with scientists and, you know, MDs, legitimate guys at universities that are reversing diabetic uh, indices, indications uh, in six months. I mean, you, it's a behavioral disease which can be reversed by reversing the behavior that caused it in the first place, you know, this kind of stuff. So anyway, so as, I, as my um, career has progressed or, or generated or uh, continued, I've gotten more and right. more into the health aspect, kind of backed into it because the exercise that I do happens to be the most required, the most beneficial form of exercise that anyone can perform. You know, now high-intensity interval training is a big thing, and a lot of studies are coming out. But basically, I designed a high-intensity interval training system called SMART in 1974, and I've been using it. I've used it in studies. Um, I work with Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. We've used it with kids. We used it with elderly. I've worked it with ASU. We did the SMART kids with ASU. A bunch of universities have come to me to try to present studies, so we actually have randomized controlled trials instead of just saying, Dr. Ben says it's a good thing for you. We do actual studies, and so we have some basis in science and in practical application. We have had you know pretty good levels of success continuously. Yeah. What um, are there people that uh, you know they may not be reporting properly, but if they do seem to report properly, is there anyone? If they eat properly, if they eat right, if they have very low carb, very low sugar, that will not come back to a healthy weight. Are there people that will stay overweight, but you know, for all intents and purposes, they do seem to be very healthy at the same time? Have you seen that? No, there's an interesting kind of a concept. I mean, fat cells have a certain capacity to store fat healthily, and that's what you're supposed, they're supposed to be there for is to store energy. Some people have a proclivity for storing more fat in their cells before they run into this over fat where the cell rebels a little bit and starts to uh, release the fat into the bloodstream, into the heart. So you have a fatty heart, which is cause clogged, you know, clogged arteries and inflammation. You have a fatty liver, which completely disrupts uh, function of metabolism uh, and, you know, things like that. But yeah, there are some people, but most people, at, well, let's put it this way. At least 70% of us are probably insulin resistant. Because we grew up in a gen, I'm 70, but we grew up in a generation, even the generation after me, grew up where we started to introduce sugar into everything. You know, high fructose corn right. syrup, which is basically, like I say in my book, your mama would say, watch out with that corn syrup, you know, with that maple syrup on your pancakes. You eat too much, you'll get sick. Well, imagine taking that bottle of syrup that we used to put on pancakes and putting it in every processed, baked, prepared food, which is what they do with high fructose corn syrup. You're literally putting syrup on everything that you eat. And guess what happened? Yep. My mama was right. We got sick. So as a nation, <laughs> you know, we can't. Here's what I present in some of my seminars and in the book. Okay. The body can hold two or three months easily worth of fat storage for energy. It can hold and reserve one day's worth of sugar energy. Now, what do you think as a developing species we relied upon? The one day uh, level of, of, of uh, energy or the three month one? If it, if it was the one day one, we wouldn't have survived as a species. Okay, right. couple, 
interesting little basic scientific points. There are things called essential amino acids. Those are proteins that you need on a pretty much a continuous basis, on a daily basis, because your body can't really make them. Okay, number two, essential fatty acids. Those are uh, fats that turn into membranes and connective tissue and things like that. Those are essential. There is no such thing, zero, as an essential carbohydrate. You can live the rest of your life without a single carbohydrate, uh, even though we've been told by industry and the government that we should eat seven to, you know, eight, nine, ten, depending on the pyramid that you look at, servings right. of fruits and vegetables and grains. Now, the vegetables we can get away with. The fruits, unfortunately, are about five times sweeter, more sugar content than they were before we cultivated them to be sweet. And grains, unfortunately, again, whole grain, steel-cut wheat breaks down into glucose at some point. It breaks down a little slower, so it's not quite the insulin effect. But anything that causes your insulin to rise causes inflammation and causes us. Insulin is a hormone that says store energy. If I wanted to make you fat, I would inject you with insulin, okay? And right. that's exactly what yep. we're doing when we eat carbohydrates. We're basically, through our mouth, ingesting insulin. So what's um, there's your program? Um, it, it, I don't, I guess it wouldn't work in isolation. You also need to eat right. Um, well, I, I don't think any they, of these behaviors I mean, act in isolation. I, I think, you know, there's a behavioral model and, and my philosophy as a minimalist is that what's the least amount of a behavior that I don't feel like doing. Cause as humans, we are innately, mm. you know, a little bit lazy. We want to, homeostasis is a wonderful place, which means you stay in the same place. But if you find right. you're in a compromised place, if your doctor says your labs aren't good, if you're not feeling good, if you're feeling old and don't have the energy that you think you should have, uh, then I think it's time to say, hey, I don't think this is a healthy state. What do I do about it? So the plan is basically, right. what's the minimum amount of exercise? There are two things. Exercise and activity are two different things. 15 minutes twice a week of exercise. High intensity, relative high intensity. And I have people that I train that are in wheelchairs that can do it. And you hmm. can do, you know, nobody's going to get hurt because of the slow movement. And also, number two, we need a certain amount of activity. Okay, if you're sedentary, the offset of that sedentary behavior is activity, not exercise, activity, meaning not being sedentary, not sitting in a chair for eight hours a day. Because when we were sedentary as a developing species, what happened? If you couldn't keep up with the pack, you got left behind, you now became prey, you couldn't get to shelter, right. you couldn't get to water, you died. Now it takes 60 right. years for you to die if you're sedentary, you die from some other okay. disease. Activity yeah. and exercise are two behaviors. And then eating, it seems that in my observation that about 80% of the people do very well if I can change that insulin glycogen, insulin sugar axis, you know, by cutting down on carbohydrates pretty significantly. What if you wanted to go whole hog? You want to do everything possible to, uh, to get yourself in better shape. You know, should you include intermittent fasting? You know, what about exogenous ketones? Yeah. Any other helpers that you know of that you think would be good yeah. You're, you're, you're in my bailiwick. There, there are about 10 or 12 people in the world, not to blow smoke up my own butt, but that are really leading the edge of this okay, and talking about it. And I'm one of them from the exercise side, but I know a lot about the diet. Now, like I said, I, I started writing about fasting in 1978. So here's the simple read on that. When you eat, you're basically sending a metabolic signal to store energy. That's what eating's about. When you do not eat, which means you're fasting or not eating, like when you wake up in the morning, you fasted for eight or 10 hours, okay? You're telling your right. body to burn energy because you're not eating, you're not supplying energy, okay? So mm -hmm. the intermittent fasting means simply this, okay? I, I, I gave a talk about this in an international conference about eight weeks ago, and I said, in the old days, we called intermittent fasting eating once a day. 
now they give it a good name. But I mean, what you're basically doing is shortening the time in which you take in food, therefore signaling energy storage, and you're lengthening the time in which you're signaling energy usage. So just look at the formula and that right away, you know, you've got a, a benefit to that uh, because the, you don't have to secrete insulin. You don't, your body can handle all the energy that goes by circulating the existing, hopefully fats. You want to become a fat burner instead of a sugar burner. And this is another thing that no one's heard. This is the first time anyone's heard this analysis, and I'm giving it to you on this podcast, is that if you're a sugar burner, which is what the government told us to be for years and still does, then you need to eat six times a day because it's, sugar is a very short-term energy source. Okay, You're going to get sugar. Okay, So you need to eat six meals a day. You need to eat carbohydrate food because that's what you're using for energy. If you become a fat burner, which most of us would like to be, and is probably the most healthy way for us to you know extend our life and our functional capacity then you need less fuel at less often because now you can rely on your fat stores which again are usually in a healthy person or or at least five or six weeks worth of fat store and that becomes a much more moderate even keel delivery of energy you don't have to eat you don't have to keep your blood sugar up because now you're not relying on the sugar as your energy source you're you're not a diesel burner you're a high octane burner so you know, I'm trying to give you some analogies that make some sense, but that's really what we're trying to do. And that's how our bodies, again, develop. That's hardwired into our DNA. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, um, with intermittent fasting, uh, mm-hmm. what's your recommendation? How long do you need to do it in order for it to be effective? Is 12 hours enough, 16? Should you well, go like 24, okay. 48? What do you see? Hey, Richard, here's when, here's when it becomes, you know, and here's where there's an art to the science, Okay. Um, I think you yeah. try it and see what works there. And, and I've had people successful or unsuccessful at almost any of these. Um, I, I've even had people fast for days at a time. I'm not so sure that it's necessary, nor do I recommend it without strict supervision, only because th- there's a possibility, you know, one in 10,000 or something bad could happen. Who needs that? But but the point is, right. what, what I'd say to most people, if you can skip breakfast to start, okay, then maybe eat lunch as late as, you know, as late as reasonable. And don't forget, you're going to have this intermittent, intermittent uh, reaction <laughs> that's going to happen because you're, you're now still a sugar burner. And, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're ravenous, okay? You go through, you know, lunch and you, you want to just knock the walls down because that sugar is a fuel that has now <laughs> outlasted itself. You need some energy. So if you, right. but then if you, you know, if you eat a meal, if you say you have a salad with some chicken in it and things like that, and it's very low carb and, you know, you start to get used to that, then you can go, you'll be surprised how most people can go longer and longer um, without having to, you can eat once a day, but, or else you can eat, you know, your first meal at four o'clock and they need dinner at seven o'clock or something, you know? So I think you have mm-hmm. to play with it. Um, there are some, it depends. If we're looking at a medical intervention, if we're looking at trying to reverse tumor growth, for example, then you're looking at yeah. uh, I think I think fasting and a really uh, ketogenic, you know, under 20 grams of carb kind of thing. I mean, you you, you want to you know pull out all the plugs. But if somebody wants to get fit, right. and be lean, and you know, like most people that have you know eight to 15 pounds of fat that they'd like to get rid of, I think intermittent fasting, skipping lunch or eating lunch later. I mean, you know, they say you know who says breakfast is the most important meal of the day? Kellogg's. That's the people who say that. And why wouldn't they? Okay, uh, you know, so so give your kid. Kellogg's, Tony the Tiger, Frosted Flakes, which is sugar with sugar on top of it. Okay, so make get right. him addicted to sugar. So now the kid wants, you know, these kids have a breakfast, they have a snack at school, then they have lunch, then they have an after-school snack, then they have dinner, then they have a nighttime snack. The kids eat seven times a day. Human beings never ate seven, uh, seven times a day unless they 
wound up in a berry patch the two two weeks that it was fruitful. Then they got sick anyway. <laughs> but they didn't do it. They didn't do it for like fifteen years in a row, you know. Right. right. <laughs> so right, so intermittent fasting is good. Exercise, the eating, you know, the ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting, any other uh, additional elements you found to be helpful. But, but here, here's the idea. I mean, there are certain kinds of exercise that produce results. See, there are certain threshold levels at, to, at, at which point it's going to cause good stuff to happen. If you don't reach the threshold, in other words, half-assing, uh, you know, a high-intensity workout is not going to give you half the benefit. It may never, it may give you very little. Mm-hmm. Exercising hours and hours a week, this is the problem I have. The doctor says, well, go out and start walking, and I want you to do an hour a day and do this and this. It's not, it's not the right prescription. You have to do high-intensity exercise because that releases adrenaline, which makes you release stored body fat. Okay, now when you ex- – if, if you do steady state, what we call cardio-aerobic exercise, okay, the fact that it's steady state means that it makes the least intrusion on your metabolic status. Great for survival as a species, not good for changing your metabolic status. In other words, making you more lean, okay? What reco- what's required is that you work harder – and if you work harder at a high intensity, you cannot work for a long period of time. Those are mutually exclusive ends, okay? So right, if your workout's right. taking more than 20 minutes, somebody comes up to me and says, I did an hour high-intensity workout. I said, well, you're a freak of nature because nobody can do high-intensity for an hour. You'd be dead, okay? It can't happen. So it is not literally, but it's, it's ridiculous. You don't need a lot of exercise. You need high-intensity exercise. And I do it so all the major muscle groups work at a high intensity for about 40 to 90 seconds, and you just go through a circuit working different muscle groups in your body. And my, my book has this, not to plug the book, because I make two bucks a book, so it's no big deal, but um, it, it shows you and then it explains why you work these muscles. You work all the major muscle groups in your body because exercise produces local, meaning at the site of the working muscle uh, results, and it produces global results. So as a matter of working your legs, for example, your heart and your blood vessels have to work harder. Your respiratory system has to work harder. Your hormone system changes. Your nervous system adapts. So the muscle system is the vehicle through which we have all of these organ systems in, in our body get to the next level of health and function. That's basically mm. – and, and that combined with the right kind of eating where you're not making this horrible chemical metabolic impediment to any kind of progress happen, and you've got a pretty good plan. And it gives you the biggest bang for your buck. So you don't have to be in a gym. You can do this stuff at home. You can do it at a gym. You can do, you know, you can do it anywhere. It's just a matter of taxing those muscles safely at a at a level that's what we call threshold, so that it's going to instigate fat release, protein uptake in the skeleton and the muscles, so that your bone density increases, your muscle activity increases. These mitochondria, little battery things, become more powerful, give you more energy. You know, all the stuff is the stuff that you can see written about, but there's no mystery yeah. to it. It's kind of simple stuff. What about if if you put um, diet? And exercise on a seesaw. Uh, what? And I don't know if this. You know, I guess it changes with age. It seems to. But you know, okay. uh, how much? How much is diet responsible for your health versus exercise? You know, as you age. You know, it's interesting. I did a PowerPoint presentation and I listed a bunch of different um, met, what we call metabolic pathways. Okay, and and I gave kind of a percentage of what I thought exercise and you know. So some of the pathways were the insulin pathway, adrenaline pathway. Hormone, the different hormones, growth hormone, all these things, uh, creatine, uh, all these signaling pr- uh, proteins and things that we're trying to stimulate. Then I gave them evaluations. So what does what? Diet or exercise? And with regard to insulin sensitivity, increasing that diet and the exercise in about 50-50. Adrenaline uptick, 70-30 to exercise. Um, 
the enzymes that make you burn fat, 60-40 exercise. Um, they, human growth, stimu- growth hormone stimulation that keeps you young, 80-20 exercise. Um, signaling proteins, probably 100% exercise. Then you go into things, um, let's see, uh, like creatine levels, these, these uh, PPR, there's a bunch of different signaling pathways, which I don't want to get into. But anyway, there's other things that you can do that are controlled by diet, okay? And so, you you know, cutting down your grams of carbohydrate probably, you know, uh, is going to be 80% of, of the benefit from the, the eating part of the thing. Um, staying right. active, this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, so there's all kinds of things, but yeah, exercise is important. I, I just wrote a rebuttal to a, a uh, it's very interesting. I just wrote a rebuttal to a, uh, articles sent written by some really high level scientists who I know are endurance and athletes. Then they said, you can't outrun a bad diet. And I wrote a rebuttal. I said, you can't outrun a bad headline because you know, it, they, what they were saying is the dynamic model calories in calories out makes no sense. It never made sense to me. Okay. It depends on what the calories do and what your exercise does metabolically. What pathways do they instigate? And how does that affect the the final outcome of how much fat you're burning, how much lean tissue you're maintaining, metabolic rate, and the number of different related health factors? So, right. yeah, but at, you are right. Your hunch is right. As we, when we're younger, our, our hormonal milieu, you know, the status of our some of our hormones is so high that you can eat the friggin' boxes that the food comes in, and you're still not going to have any problems, okay? Because you've got this great hormonal situation. Now, if you can maintain that for the rest of your life. You wouldn't get fat. You wouldn't get old. You wouldn't get wrinkly. But that, that ain't, that's not real. That's Oz. You know, that's not reality. So right. um, you do become more insulin sense, uh, resistant because we've have, had sugar. And But, you know, the, the pancreas, those beta cells that produce insulin wear down. You know, like I tell people, the warranties start to wear out a little bit. You're trying to keep these things functional as much as you can. You can't go to Midas and get new mitochondria. You have to do something behaviorally to try to, you know, withstand the, the formal aging process or what people mm. consider aging and a lot of it's not aging but some of it is a lot of it's just behavioral degradation well i see a lot of people seem to hit a tipping point eh, you know 30 35 maybe 40 but you know i've watched a lot of uh, people that i knew that you know maybe they were they looked thin for a long time and all of a sudden they hit that age you know that age range and boop, now they got a belly but they start putting on a lot of weight and it just doesn't go away yeah. well here's an interesting fact i think Insulin resistance manifests itself, if you, if you measured it, most doctors don't, unfortunately, about 15 years before any diagnosis of diabetes. So in other words, this is a progressive, you know, and then once you hit, like you said, a tipping or a critical point or a threshold level, then the stuff starts going the other way. The fat accumulates, the metabolism slows down, the muscles aren't getting enough energy or activity, the right kind. Uh, and then, of course, the process changes and, and the whole outcome, therefore, is going to change. Yes. It does happen, but I don't think you have to accept it as being, you know, progressively uh, unalterable. I mean, this, you're, everyone's yeah. going to get old. Everyone's going to die. If you live long enough, you know, you're going to get old. That's great. But as far as losing function and, and getting fat, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be to the extent even near what it is commonly in, you know, modern culture. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's so bad that this is the first generation being born now that's not going to live as long as the generation before it. I mean, to me, that's a sin. That if there is such a thing as a sin. That's a sin to me. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I remember growing up in the 80s. You know, I'm, I'm 43, so it was like a yeah, token yeah. fat kid. You know, that that's what it was in a group. Now it's like everybody. You know, it's yeah, just there's a, it's, now there's a token like rampant. <laughs> yeah. 
So, you no, know, I you mean, wonder, yeah. like, what, what, what could have changed? People aren't necessarily exercising a lot less. Or, I don't know. It's just, it's, you know, no, things have changed dramatically. Changed, you can see changed. it. Look, what's changed is this, is this is a two or three generational process. Okay. When, when a woman's pregnant, okay, when the baby's, uh, b- baby's being formed, this woman is insulin resistant already because it's the second or third generation of eating this way since the government told us to stay away from steak and fats because it was so bad. Turns out that saturated fat is the best, healthiest energy source for your heart and your brain, but otherwise they were close. Not even, okay? <laughs> but what happened is the, the woman's insulin resistant, the baby in the womb, okay, is now becoming insulin resistant because of the mother. They come out of the womb insulin resistant. They don't have a shot. And then they give them, they give them juice instead of giving them milk. I mean, you know, so what are you doing? You're giving them sugar and water. It, that's what they start with. Yeah. So now these kids, uh, and I'm seeing it now because I'm working with kids, you're seeing kids full-blown type 2 diabetic, adult-onset diabetic at 12 years old. They're cutting off their toes at 30. I mean, that's crazy. It's absolutely yeah, crazy. Yeah. And the same thing with Alzheimer's. The reason it's manifesting itself, we're living a little longer. And, and Alzheimer's is now popularly called type 3 diabetes because your brain cells can't get, they become insulin resistant. They can't use glucose, which is the primary source for your brain fuel in most cases, because they're insulin resistant. So what happens to the neurons, your brain cells? They don't get energy. You don't get energy. What happens? You die. That's what happens. You reverse that. So now you take them, you make them ketogenic. So they can go around the blood-brain barrier. They don't need insulin. And you can return a lot of the function. So, I mean, this is pretty simple stuff. It's not me being so – I don't make any money if you eat, you know, broccoli or you eat steak. It doesn't make any difference to me, you know, personally. <laughs> but, I mean, there are certain things that happen when you eat certain foods, and there are certain things that happen when you tax the muscle system certain ways. We know this stuff. Right. We've studied it for real. You know, we're not selling anything. We studied it. We know what happens. And now we're saying, listen, this is how you instigate this whole lifestyle process. And it's, it's really, I mean, I tell people, Here, here's your choice. Do you want a donut or do you want your toes? And if they ask me what kind of a donut, then I know I'm in trouble. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, how, about, how, how about the exercise itself? Um, you know, you, again, your prescription is uh, two 15-minute high-intensity periods. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. What have you seen over, you know, is there a way to do exercise where it hurts your body versus helps it, you know, and what are, like, if you're, if you're dancing around trying to figure out which way to exercise best, like, what are some of the worst ways and what are better and what is the ideal, which I'm guessing is what you're prescribing. Uh, Not to sell my system, though, there are, there have been hundreds of thousands, if not millions of workouts, not one person ever once has gotten hurt. Okay, it, and I've worked out with some monster athletes, okay? I need the brutal workouts because that's what's required. And I've worked with people just out of surgery two days, and I've worked with uh, people that are uh, sedentary. We have to build them up because they're starting to lose muscle, and therefore they're losing uh, insulin receptors. They're becoming diabetic even though they're not heavy because then their muscles no right. longer have the capacity to handle insulin. No, so you can do that kind of system. Are there bad ways? Yeah, a bad way is an exhaustive way that makes you tired and hungry. So after you do your cardio workout and you've done an hour, 90 minutes, God bless you, you've worked hard, there's effort put in, but I hate to see it because now after 90 minutes, you've used your fat reserves, your body becomes hungry and it becomes tired. So what does it do? It eats more and it slows down. Net effect, pretty much zero. Okay, not not to say that it's... Now, I want people to be active. They want to hike, they want to golf, they want to play tennis, they want to ride a bike. That's yoga, stretching. I love all that stuff. In fact, in my book, I have a plan. You can do stuff every day. But if you're talking about high-intensity exercise every day, it would be like trying to get a suntan by sitting in the middle of the day sun five days in a row for five hours. 
You ain't getting a suntan because you can't respond to that much stimulus. You're going to overdo it mm. and get sun poisoning and blisters, okay? Same with, same with high-intensity exercise. It takes a few days to recover metabolically. So now you're in a state where you can tax your body again and try to stimulate an upward adaptation, something that's better or higher or at least not lower. But if we do this every day, it becomes dangerous. And then most exercise programs, they don't care about form and speed and technique. Then the joints become the issue. I mean, you can't get the benefit of exercise if you're injured all the time. And a lot of these, you know, right. and I, know, I hate to knock any particular thing because at some point this is all fun, I guess. But, you know, a CrossFit thing, people are whipping things around. And, you know, exercise should not be the Cirque du Soleil. It should be a controlled, directed process. I mean, I'm all for people want to compete in whatever comp- – I mean, I played football. I did powerlifting. I played a lot of sports at a high level. Now, do I suffer now for it? Yeah, a little bit, but I still would have done it, and I still probably would do it now if I could. But there are some risks that you don't certainly don't want to take exercising. I mean, if you want to go into a combat sport, that's a whole different thing, but that's not exercise. Your exercise should be right. safe, it should be productive, and it should be intermittent. All right, so what's an example of just like one or two exercises that uh, you recommend in your program? Okay, I mean, here's a basic routine that I do and most of my people do. You do a leg extension, okay. that means, you know, okay, a leg extension to failure takes about 60 seconds. Then you do a leg curl for your hamstrings and your butt to failure takes about 60 seconds. Then you'll do a rowing motion for your lats and upper back. That takes about 90 seconds. Then we'll do a, a shoulder lateral, some kind of dumbbell lateral or machine lateral. That takes about 40 seconds. Then we do a chest fly or a bench press. That takes about 60 seconds. Then we do a bicep curl. takes about 50 seconds. And then we do a tricep extension on a rope or on a machine or the dumbbell. That takes about a minute. And then maybe we'll throw in a little bit of abs at the end because everybody wants to work their abs, you know. And that's it. That's, that's worked out. And let me tell you something. Nobody's ever asked me for the 16th minute when they get done with the workout. But I'm just gonna, you know, it's, it's, it's like relatively like wind sprinting for every muscle group in your body. And so what I've done with, with high-intensity interval training, instead of going on a treadmill, fast, slow, fast, slow, we do 15 of these kind of, quote, circuits. I do my right. circuit with a fresh group of muscles every time. So I'm not beating the mm. hell out of one of the muscles by the eighth or ninth, sixth or seventh time on an interval training. Those muscles aren't capable of working hard. They're exhausted. But I use a fresh yeah. set of muscle, muscles on each one. So it's very powerful, very uh, significant, and very high buck return. You know, you're getting a lot out of your time and effort. Are you literally doing um, one rep to a failure or are you doing like a set no, one to set, failure? One, one set to failure. And usually the sets, depending on the speed, and I hate to, I'm not a numbers guy because I have another saying, muscles can't count. But one set probably consists of three to six repetitions in most cases. Okay, that's real. And then you'll within the allotted time, you want to know load time. In other words, if you're on an exercise for two and a half, three minutes, in my case, that's not high intensity. If I ask you to sprint, you ain't going a mile. Okay, I want it to be high intensity. If you last 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and the weight may be too heavy. Okay, so and I hate again to use numbers because there are different people with different neurological efficiencies and different function. But to be generalistic, okay, you're looking at Say a minute, a little less, a little more, depending on the complexity of the movement, com- depending on the person slightly, and that y- it's going to probably entail slow enough speed, three to six repetitions, I would think. What, what's your intensity? I mean, what's your uh, intensity? What's your opinion of? Um, I believe it's called like efficient exercise. They have these machines that you'll push with all your might, and it resists you in such a way as like you can do like max output for, I don't know. Yeah. 30 seconds or until failure. Have you seen those? Yeah, no, no. There is a set of uh, resistance machines that are manufactured in Europe. I was approached by them. I know a couple of people in the States, maybe two or three now that have them. What happens when you, when you do the positive, say you're curling, you bring your fists up to your shoulders, it's 60 pounds. 
as soon as you change direction, it becomes 85, 90 pounds. So now you're, you're capable of handling more on the negative, returning the weight than you are on lifting the weight. That's pretty cool. Huh. I think cool. Now, whether they've got it right, whether it's a 60, 40 ratio, I don't know, but I think that's, is, and they're very expensive, but I think you, again, they're great tools subject to the use of the, you know, the user subject to the expertise. You can get great benefits out of bands. I've got, I've got monster guys that travel and we got them these thick old bands and they can do my whole workout, which I have in the book. I have a band workout. I have a gym workout and I have a total gym workout because total gym has sponsored me and we've done work together for years. I trained Christy and Chuck and I don't know if you're familiar with that stuff, but, um, yep. you know, that kind of, yeah. And so I, I put those three workouts in there, but the principles, I state the principles of the exercise and then the tool that you use depends on availability and somehow a little more efficient than others. There's no question about it, but it's not like you're going to be lost if you just have bands to work out with or you have dumbbells or you have okay. a total gym or a Bowflex. So yeah, twice a week, 15 minutes at a time is uh, doesn't sound like much, but no, you're it, saying it has uh, it, that, that's the optimal effect. Yeah, well, that's all your body can tolerate and you want to have at least two days off in between. In other words, you don't want to do it Saturday and Sunday. You take five days off. So a Monday, Thursday, Monday, Friday, Wednesday, Saturday, that kind of a thing. So you'll have a two-day off period and a three-day off period in between. And in between, yes, would I like you to be active? I would like you to stretch every day, especially as you get older. I would like you to do some aerobic, but not to the point of you know failure, but aerobic activity. Mm-hmm. I want you not to be sedentary. That's a separate and distinct issue. So exercise, activity, controlled carbohydrate eating i think boy that's a that's a great start i think you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck out of that plan have you uh have you known anyone that was actually trying and doing everything you said and it just didn't work for them yep um usually 45 to 60 year old women and then we have to go into some more analysis we've got to get some more lab work we've got to check hormone activity we've got to check thyroid function uh, something called leptin, which no, almost no doctor knows about, but that's something that has to do with metabolic rate and satiety and things like that. Yeah, sure. I would say 80, for 80% of the people, this thing is the answer, and it's a good answer for that's the other good. 20. But, but yeah, it become, this becomes at some point, Richard, this becomes uh, a little more um, hit and miss with certain people with certain hormonal predispositions, and a lot of women go through that. They're the hardest ones to deal with, I'll be honest with you. Uh, yeah, and you always have outliers. You have some people that could do almost anything and they get great results, and you have some people that can be really pure at it, and they're hard gainers. No question about that. But we're addressing the main the main hurdles that most people face most of the time for most of their lives. Right. Okay. All right, and then last, last question or so. So you're in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, right? Yes, sir. Okay, well, if someone's not local to you and they want to do the workout, what's your recommendation? Can they get the book and show it to their trainer. They just do it themselves. Yeah, like, what, what do you, you can't help everybody. What do you do? Oh, well, they, they get the book. And then, I mean, uh, my, you can put my info on there as far as cell phone. I mean, I have people that answer it. I answer it and we can find for them somebody who's what I'm in the process of doing now is certifying people so that we know they have at least shown some competence in doing this. But there are, there are people that exist almost all over, especially obviously the bigger the city, the more likely you are to find people that that's, they've been doing this mm-hmm. stuff or some, Super slow is a knockoff of my system. Slow burn. There's other things. I mean, there's plenty of people doing something really similar, and I have very little problem with them other than just intellectually. But as far as what they do, I think it's much better than what most people in the world do. So, yeah, you can find somebody to do this stuff. Absolutely. So if they go okay, to my great. website, they can email me, drbenbow at hotmail.com, 
and I'll try to get them somebody within 72 hours. Usually I can find somebody. That's great. All right, Dr. Ben. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and thanks for all your time and your knowledge. All right. Well, it was fun. I hope you guys do well, and uh, let me know if you need any more advice. <laughs> you have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.